Okay. When we worship, we join with the whole of the universe created to display the glory of God. What a God we serve. But there is more, much more. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. What a promise. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. Is that worth an amen this morning? Friends, never get complacent in that truth. Never take it for granted. There are billions of people in this world who don't know that truth. They don't wake up every morning with the reassurance that we have, that we have a God that died for us, that gave his life for us. We live in a world that enjoyed, enjoys a lifestyle that our parents, our grandparents could only dream about. You know, most of us own our own homes. We drive cars. We have many gadgets that take the strain out of everyday life. We have more power on the mobile phones that are in our pockets than the, put a, that put a compute, than the computers that put a man on the moon. We have Strictly Come Dancing and EastEnders. And yet, and yet... It seems that more people suffer with anxiety and stress than in earlier generations. I don't know whether it's just me that thinks that. But what I do know is that there seems to be an increase amongst young people of self-harming, violence on the streets. I know there's many valid, varied reasons for this, but can I suggest one? It's because our generation and perhaps to a lesser degree, our parents' generation forgot why we were created. No hope, no God in the world. No sense of an otherness. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. You know, when we look, we look at God, it puts into perspective, doesn't it, everything else. When we see how great is our God. We were made for relationship with our Creator. We were made to worship, literally, to come forward to kiss the one who created us. And it is as a people, as a nation, that we've forgotten our original purpose, that we've lost our way. And so we see increases in violence, drug use, hate crimes, all sorts of things. What's the answer? Listen again. So that event in the ministry of Jesus that took place in Caesarea Philippi, it was by a cave that was known as the gates of hell. A cave where legend has it that the demons from hell came and went into and out of this world. And Jesus is sitting there and he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And they answer all sorts of different ways. And then Jesus personalizes it by saying, and about you, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Peter. God told you this. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, perhaps pointing at that cave, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Skip forward a few months. And if you'd looked at that ragtag bunch of frightened followers of Jesus in the days after his ascension, 
it might have seemed hard to believe that these were the hope for the nations. But we know what happened next, don't we? We know that the power of God falls on Pentecost and 120 followers go out and they change the world. They become a spirit-filled gathering of people, the church, full of men and women who are flourishing in God. Read the early chapters of Acts and see the church expanding, growing, flourishing. The church, God's plan for this world. A body of people who will go and tell the world about the event that changed history, that will share the good news, the evangelion that became Jesus, that because Jesus left the grave behind him, then so will I. Oh, don't you? You don't have to get to church, people say, don't they? To be a Christian, you don't have to go to church. Well, I beg to differ. Jesus didn't say, I will build up individuals. He said, I will build my church. The word used, ecclesia, literally gathering of people. Let's just take a time out at this point. Let's just remember who it is who said that. The sun is 93 million miles away. You'll have to take my word for it. I haven't counted it myself, but I'm told it's 93 million miles away. On a sunny day, you can't look at its brightness, can you? You have to shield your eyes. Jesus, in his resurrected glory, the word of God tells us, shines brighter than the sun. St. John, a close friend of Jesus, who as a teenager became a follower of Jesus, followed Jesus around for three years. John dedicated his life to following Jesus for, in a long, long life. And what happens when, he, when he, he falls down before him as if, as if one who's fainted in that vision that's described in, in the book of Revelation, or to give it its better title, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. And when Jesus says something, then we need to listen. And as he speaks about his church, we need to listen. And then what about the man who wrote most of the New Testament, St. Paul? He takes his truth even further. In that famous passage in Ephesians 5, when he talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife, and he says this, Husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. Paul goes on to say this is a profound mystery that the church is Christ's body. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways, each precious one a child you died to save. If you gave 
your life to love them, so will I. The church is the hope for the world. It's a place where people can come to encounter Jesus. It's a place where they can come to see the love of God demonstrated amongst the community of believers. It's a place where the lost, the hurting and the broken can find love, acceptance and healing. Last year was the 15th anniversary of me having an operation, having a bit removed from my body. Now, does that bit enjoy a happy and fulfilled life? Does it go to Blackpool for the first two weeks of August every year for its holidays? No. When it left my body, it died. Friends, when people remove themselves from the body of Christ, we die. Spiritually, we cut off from the life-giving work of the Spirit. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. Remember, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Even he wasn't allowed. It was a joke, by the way. You're, you're actually allowed to laugh. You know, if you, think of, if you think I've cracked a joke, laugh. Even if I haven't, I'll take the credit. That's... Now, I'm not speaking about people who can't go to church for reasons of health or perhaps they're caring for, for someone and they just can't get there. Well, they would love to be there, but they can't get there. I'm not talking about those. I'm speaking about those who intentionally, and I know I'm preaching to the converted because you're here this morning, but those who intentionally cut themselves off, inevitably, their faith, if it will not die, it will wither because it's not being fed. It will not produce fruit. Jesus said that he would build his church. So that is the people who don't come to church. But what about those who do? Psalm 92, verses 12 to 14. And I loved it when David read that passage this morning because it seemed to fit in with this, at least this bit of what I'm going to say. Listen to these words in Psalm 92, 12 to 14. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. The righteous, that is those made righteous by Jesus, displaying the characteristics of Jesus, will what will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Cedars of Lebanon were impressive looking trees, symbolizing strength, magnificence. They could grow to 100 feet tall. They produced exceptionally good wood that was aromatic and durable. Solomon used the cedars of Lebanon when he built the temple. The writer of the psalm uses this tree as a symbol of those who grow in the Lord. They grow. They flourish. When they are planted, where? In the house of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They stay fresh and green. I want some of that, don't you? I want to remain fruitful when I grow up, when, when, when I get older. I want to be fruitful. I want to be fresh and green. The psalm says that it's not enough just to attend the temple. It's not enough just to attend church. We need to be planted in the church. You know, we meet many people who attend church, but I wouldn't say they were all flourishing, would you? I mean, I know, you know, I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about like other churches, you know, where, where, where people don't appear 
to be living the joy-filled life, do they, if we're honest? You know, friends, if we want to be part of what God is doing, we need to be planted in his church. You could place a cedar of Lebanon in a forest where other trees are growing, but unless you planted it, it wouldn't grow. It wouldn't flourish. Because a cedar tree is so tall, it needs lots of nourishment. It needs the nutrients of being planted in fertile soil to grow. We can attend church every week, but if we're not planted, we don't grow. The early church didn't meet in buildings. They met in each other's homes, in caves, in the open air. The place wasn't important. What was important was their relationship with God and with each other. We have that great picture of the early church in Acts when it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind, sharing everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There was power, dunamis, dynamite in the early church. They were planted in Christ and in the church and they flourished. They didn't always get it right. Look at the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. There were some distinctly dodgy goings on there. Hardly surprising, as the very name Corinth was in those days a symbol for drunken debauchery. To Corinthianize was to corrupt the lifestyle of someone. But it was to the church in Corinth that Paul wrote that they are living stones. Where? In the new temple that God has built with Jesus as the cornerstone. When Paul wrote, you are living stones, he used the plural of you, but the single form of temple. What do you mean by that? Well, it means that we're all, as individuals, part of one temple. Jesus' gathering of people, the place where God makes his home, just as he did in the temple in Jerusalem. Something much bigger than yourself, something sacred. You are part of the heavenly community. Churches don't always get it right. The churches are gatherings of people, and people don't always get it right. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people this side of glory. Did you hear about the preacher who asked, if there's anyone who is perfect here this morning, will he please stand? After a few moments, someone stood to his feet. Are you claiming to be perfect, the amazed preacher asked the man. Oh no, not me, sir, he said. I'm standing on behalf of my wife's first husband. None of us are perfect. But as we're planted in the church, then they are God's plan for the transformation of the world that he created. And as we're planted in the church, we can flourish. Jesus said that he had come that we, could have, we would have life, abundant life. Does that mean that we will flourish materially? May do. But only if God knows that we can handle it. A good father wouldn't give his son or a daughter if they came to him and said, Dad, I'd really love to play this afternoon with the electric carving knife. I don't think they'd grant that request to you because that wouldn't help them. God will not grant requests for things he knows we cannot handle. But what good father would withhold from his children the things he knows that would bless them, that would help them to thrive? Even in the face of difficulty, we can thrive 
spiritually. In him, when we're deeply rooted in him. And the more we grow in him, the deeper our roots go in him, nurtured, fed by the church, fed by his spirit, so we can flourish, flourish. We can thrive in him. Why do we need to flourish? Because it empowers us. It empowers us to have a greater impact on others. The world watches us, don't they? They look to see where the reality is. And if we go around looking and acting, like, you know, wet weekend at the seaside, then that's not particularly attractive, is it? You know, you know, you know we, we say that we have deep joy. They, they want to see the abundant life being demonstrated. They want us to see us living out what we say we believe. We have a responsibility to respond to the word of God that is planted in us. Remember Jesus' parable of the sower. And he speaks, doesn't he, of seed that falls on the path, on rocky places, among the thorns, and then that which fell on good soil, producing a crop of 60, 30, or 100 times what was sown. There was nothing wrong with the seed. The seed was the same in each scenario. What changed was the soil. The path stands for the people who don't take time to understand the word of God, to plant it in their hearts. The devil quickly leads them astray. The rocky ground is people with no roots. They're not planted. They quickly wither and fall away when problems arise. The seeds among the thorns are those planted in the wrong place. Troubles, hardships choke their faith. They're unfruitful. Finally, there are the seeds planted in good soil that grow and flourish and produce much fruit. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. The same seed, different outcomes. So, how? How do we flourish? God has planted a good seed within us. But we can fall short of producing the abundance that Jesus speaks of. When a plant stops growing, it begins to die. We need to nurture the seed that God planted within each one of us to continue to flourish, to continue to grow. To, black so to, to backslide literally means to lose forward momentum. The moment we stop moving forward in Christ is the moment we stop growing. And then other things can start to grow in our lives. Negativity, disunity can grow instead of encouragement and unity, despair, lack of hope can flourish. I'm sure we all know people who were once flourishing in God, moving on, moving forward, growing in him. And then what happens? Other things get in the way, don't they? Where are they now? The Bible says, if you think you're standing still, be careful you don't fall. Jeremiah describes them as being like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope in the future. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? A bleak picture of one who was once growing, but now stands stunted, no new growth. So is there no hope for these people? Well, with God, there's always hope, isn't there? With our God, there is always hope. While that seed remains in them, there is hope that they can turn again to God 
plant themselves again in the fertile soil of God's word, receive regular nourishment amongst God's people, and growth can be revived. I'm not a gardener. I, I tend to be the type of gardener who trusts in the Lord. You know, I, I sort of allow him to develop it. Um, but I do know this, that you can plant a tree or a shrub in the wrong place, and it doesn't grow. The soil is the wrong type. It's in the wrong position. It's too sunny, it's too shady, it's too dry, it's too damp. You get the picture. Well, what if we're planted in the wrong place? You know, I believe that many followers of Christ never grow, never thrive because they're planted in the wrong place. You know, the misplaced sense of loyalty can keep us where, where we're not growing. But we perhaps need to encourage people that we meet that, that's like that, that they need replanting in a place that suits them, a place where they can come to be to flourish. Listen to the words of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it, this Lord, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know, we may know people that don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or even sit in the company of mockers. But if they're not encouraged to delight in the law of the Lord, then they're not planted by the streams of water. Then they will not yield fruit in season and whatever they do will not prosper. You know, I'm not suggesting that you go around looking at all the churches and nicking all the members to bring them here, you know. We're not into sheep stealing. But if we know people who are not thriving, then surely we'd be doing them a disservice if we don't help to point them to a place where the living water is flowing, where the leaf will not wither. Can you remember doing those experiments at school where you put a seed in that big glass jar and, and, and you put some some wet blotting paper in, and then you waited for it to grow. You know, I mean, I used to do it, and I used to sit there looking at it, expecting it to grow, like, in the next 10 minutes. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but the best I ever got was a few spindly roots, and pretty soon it died. It produced no fruit. Because it, it wasn't in the right place. And that's a sign of a thriving, flourishing plant, is that it bears fruit. So to conclude, by the way, do you know the definition of an optimist? It's someone who thinks that a preacher is about to finish when he says, and in conclusion. In conclusion, uh, can I challenge you this morning? Are you fruitful? Is there a greater love for others growing in you? Are you growing in love for yourself? What do I mean by that? I mean, are you growing in love in a positive way? Do you ever sing that song, I am a child of God? Yes, I am. Well, do we believe that? I mean, you know, we sing some stuff, don't we, sometimes? Do we, do we really believe what we're singing? So if we're children of God, created by him, then who are we to diss his creation? The song goes on to say, doesn't it, I am who you say I am. St. Paul says that we're God's workmanship. 
We're God's masterpiece. The word there literally is, is poema. We're God's love poem. We've already seen that Christ loves the church. That's you and me. If we have a poor opinion of ourselves, then we'll find it hard to love others. Is there a joy in your heart? You know, some Christians have such deep joy that it's impossible to find it, isn't it? You know, you, you, you look and you think, it, it, you know, it, it must be like shale gas. It, it, it would take a lot of, I don't like to say the word in case I mispronounce it, shall we just say an earthquake to release it, that joy. I'm sure you've never met anyone like that, but I have. Our joy should not be at the mercy of our circumstances. You know, joy doesn't mean going around with the, with the, the grin, the Cheshire cat grin on your face, or false bonhomie. But it does mean demonstrating that we meet adversity in a different way to those who do not know Christ. Differently to those who don't have the Spirit of God living within them. Is joy growing within you. Many of us are so busy, aren't we? We're rushing from one thing to another. Church is a place where we can or should be able to be still and know that he is God. Where we can know peace, shalom, that complete sense of well-being as we experience the presence of the living God coming amongst us. His peace flowing like a river in your heart. What about patience? How many of us have prayed that, per, prayed that prayer? God, give me patience, but give it me now. Is patience growing in you? What about kindness? Kindness can be defined as the quality of being friendly, generous, considerate. Does that describe you? What about goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all fruits, fruit of the Spirit, all attributes that should grow within us as we're planted in the body of Christ, nurtured by the Spirit. I admit I struggle with these, quite a few of them. Most of them, most of the time, if I'm honest. But I'm in the right place to grow. So can I appeal to you this morning? Make sure that you're planted, that your roots are going down in a place where you can grow and flourish. Remember, the church is still the body of Christ here on earth. The only hope for nourishing those who have put their trust in Christ for salvation. Those who have believed that, and as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left your grave behind you, so will I. But so often in the past, the church has acted a bit like those disciples before the day of Pentecost, hidden away. I pray that this will change. That as us, the body of Christ, Christ's church, that we will become increasingly, become churches that goes out to meet the lost, the lonely, the hurting, the broken. And I want this to prayer to be my prayer. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I.
Remember those faces on the DVD? People who need to hear the good news, who need to hear that where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. Does that stir your hearts this morning? That truth, that because Jesus rose, as the old song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know, I know the future. Life is worth the living. Why? Because he lives. Hallelujah. Where you lost your life, so I could find it here. You know, I have to, I'm not very good at all this stuff. But I pray that I will grow, that I will thrive, that I will flourish. And as I seek more of the Holy Spirit, that I will demonstrate in my life what it truly means to be part of the body of Christ, the Saviour who gave his life to love people. Will you join me this morning in saying, so will I. I may not be there yet, but I'm going to strive to thrive. Because you did this, Lord, so will I. Amen.